general, I don't really think of decisions as difficult or strenuous. I more so just view them as you know, really profitable, a little bit profitable, break even, a little bit unprofitable or really unprofitable. Forgetting what I don't need to know and taking the experiences and memories and knowledge from them and learning it and having a short memory and moving on. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. Hope you had a great holiday season, a great new year, and we are excited to start bringing you some new episodes of the Rec Poker Podcast in 2018. we got a lot of cool things planned, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode and going forward as well. As always, man, like us, tell your friends about us, but also give, give me some feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, less of, all of that stuff, because I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this thing out as we go, and I need your feedback to make that happen. So thanks to those of you who have been giving, giving me feedback, trying to incorporate that as best that we can uh, as we go forward. Today we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the, the question about what are some of the toughest spots that you faced. Now, for those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while, pretty much every week represents some of the tough stuff that I've faced, and I'm very open and transparent about the situations I struggle with and getting the feedback on those. So today I'm not really going to share my stuff, even though I've got a million that I could share. Uh, what we're going to do is just turn it over to a few of our, uh, our regular contributors, uh, Jonathan Little, Mike Schneider, they have input. And then I've also got some recreational players who have also provided some input. They're going to share their thoughts. I think it's a great episode. I think it covers a wide spectrum of things. And I think you're going to be able to relate to a lot of it. Um, and one of the most interesting things you'll hear from Jonathan Little, at least from my perspective, is him talking about not having difficult decisions, but him having decisions that are close. And I found that pretty fascinating, and I've been thinking quite a bit about that. So I think you're going to enjoy that as well. Before we get started, let's hear from our primary sponsor, Running Aces. They are the official sponsor of the Rec Poker Podcast. And I also want to take a second to thank other sponsors who are contributing the Poker is Fun Tour with Mike Schneider and PokerCoaching.com with Jonathan Little. So check those guys out. But let's quick hear from Running Aces. And then the next voice you'll hear after that is the great Jonathan Little. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. This is Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com, and today I'm asked to share one of the more difficult situations I've faced in a tournament. And in general, I don't really think of decisions as difficult or strenuous. I more so just view them as, you know, really profitable, a little bit profitable, break even, a little bit unprofitable, or really unprofitable. And um, an example of this would be, say someone raises and you re-raise with I don't know, ace-king, and then they decide to go all in for, let's say, 50 big blinds. That's a situation where when you call, or are considering calling, against a lot of people, it's going to be roughly a break-even spot. If your opponent's going all in with aces-kings, queens-jacks, and ace-king, and that's it because they're just kind of a tight player, 
you're in roughly a break-even spot. So is that a difficult decision? I would just say no, it's just close, right? It doesn't really matter what you do. And sometimes they're going to have aces, and sometimes they're going to have jacks, and sometimes they're going to surprise you and have ace five suited. Who knows? So I don't really view situations like that as difficult. I just understand that it doesn't really matter what you do. Um, Another scenario where this may come up is, um, it it happened to me just the other day in a tournament. I was heads up in a $10,000 buying event, and my opponent open shoved all in from the small blind for 27 big blinds. And I had pocket threes in the big blind. And I pretty confidently called a 27 big blind open shove. And a lot of people couldn't even believe this. Like, oh my gosh, how could you possibly call? You're not ahead of anything. But if you think about a shoving range, it's going to be mostly ace-x, which we beat ace to. Also, small and medium pairs, which we are slightly behind against. And maybe a few random big cards. And if you have studied poker ahead of time, you know that your pocket threes are going to be somewhere between... 48% and 53%. And I know the pot odds I'm getting, I need to win about 48% of the time. So the call is either going to be slightly bad or pretty good. And a lot of people view spots like that as difficult and they try to find ways to rationalize or justify their decision based on, you know, who knows what. I mean, I was playing against a great opponent who's not giving off any reads. It's not like I'm going to pick up anything on the guy. And It's like, what made my decision? Well, I have studied poker and I know what to do in this spot. I know what the right play is. So I think if you study poker enough, you will often be able to know if your play is either, you know, hopefully either horribly bad or horribly good. You'd like to know the difference. Sometimes in the close spots, though, it just doesn't really matter what you do. So I know that's not a very good answer to this question, but... I definitely suggest everyone just spend a lot of time away from the table studying. One tool I've made for everyone is the float the turn range analyzer. You can find that at floattheturn.com under the tool section. It's completely free to use. And it will let you look at your range and see how your range is proportioned. You know, how many draws you have, how many um, nut hands, how many marginal made hands, how much junk. And by thinking about poker in that manner, you will be able to hopefully see where you have big holes in your game and as soon as you eliminate the big holes in your game, well, then you can start working on the small ones. But by playing a very strong, fundamentally sound strategy, hopefully you'll find that a lot of decisions don't really become difficult anymore. It's just a matter of developing a strong strategy and then implementing it at the table. This has been Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com. Hi, this is Mike Schneider, founder of the Poker is Fun Tour, professional poker player, and a member of the Minnesota Poker Hall of Fame. So as I uh, was considering my answer to this question, I kind of realized, even though I've played a ton of hands over the course of my 13 years of being a professional poker player, there aren't too many I can really recall that vividly. I mean, I've had plenty of tough tough decisions in my life, and hands were in the moment, or a week later they would still be in my mind, but... I think I just have like a really, really quick memory at uh, just forgetting what I don't need to know and taking the experiences and memories and knowledge from them and learning it and having a short memory and moving on. That said, uh, one hand that really has stuck in my mind, uh, now we're at 11 and a half years later, was a hand I played in the 2006 World Series of Poker main event, which... uh, that point in time $10,000 buy-in got you 10,000 chips to start your day with so a little bit different than the 50,000 that there are today 
Yeah, so that was like, I mean, we obviously had very minimal amount of No Limit tournament experience or No Limit poker experience in general because I played exclusively Limit Hold'em. But in that day one, I had managed to run my 10,000 starting stack up to about 150,000, which was a huge chip stack. I was one of the biggest chip stacks at that point in the tournament. And another guy at my table had 120,000 and likewise also one of the larger chip stacks in the whole field at that point. So yeah, we ended up in a hand where that player uh, open raised in late position and I ended up defending my big blind with jack three of clubs against him. In which uh, this particular player I actually had a lot of history playing against before this tournament and he played a lot of high stakes limit hold'em cash out at Commerce Casino and some in Vegas. So we had battled a lot in limit poker. And I knew him as a very aggressive player who likes to gamble and not especially a good a hand reader because he is very much all about the action. And he probably knows me as like a tight, young, white kid who is pretty nitty. And yeah, so... I'm back to the hand, and I ended up flopping a jack-high flush with uh, three clubs out there, and one of them was the king of clubs, so I flopped the third nut flush, essentially, and I checked to him. He made a pretty large bet, probably close to about pot size, in which after 15, 20 seconds, I made a check raise, which, to pause the action for a second, today as a no-limit tournament player, I would probably never check raise there, especially given how... uh, extraordinarily deep both of us were i would prefer to uh check call simply because they people often especially players like him will bet the turn with uh with just a draw or nothing thinking that i check called with the draw of my own so yeah in uh, today's poker i would definitely play the hand a little bit differently but anyway back then in my lack of no limit experience i check raised And then he pretty quickly shoved all in on me, which, again, the hand was a long time ago. I don't remember the exact, you know, bet bet amounts. I just remember it was a huge, huge, huge oversized all-in bet. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, uh, what made the decision so difficult was simply because this was for a ton of chips. I could fold and still be one of the top chip stacks in play with, like, two or three hours left in day one. Or I can call and either have a behemothly monstrous stack or lose the hand and be down to about 30,000, which would put me about an average or so slightly above average chip stack. And uh, yeah, so tough decision just simply due to the the stakes and my lack of experience playing this game. And in specific, I guess I should say no limit poker and... I finally uh, drew on several uh, factors, namely fact looking at his huge overbet and trying to decide what could this mean. And me thinking if he had flopped a higher flush, he probably wouldn't go all in and try to kill his action. He'd probably just call and let me keep firing or maybe re-raise a smaller amount in hopes that I will call that smaller amount. So I use that as consideration one, and then consideration number two, just my prior playing history and factoring all that together, and knowing he probably thought of me as a tight-knit who he could perhaps run over, and just knowing that he himself was a hyper-aggressive player uh, who really loved to push draws hard and limit poker, and 
kind of assuming that would translate into his No Limit game as well. The third thing, he, uh, as I sat there tanking for a couple of minutes, he, as he liked to do, he did some table chat in which the the chat was kind of aggressive in nature and, you know, thing call, calling you like young man, young kid, things like that. And again, not remembering specific wording, just feeling like that kind of uh, acting strong and tough when you're weak and guy considered that and came into play too and when combining those three things I decided to make the call and was shown that he had just a naked ace of clubs with I don't remember what the second card was but it was pretty irrelevant and turn card did give him a higher flush and just like that he was up to about 240,000 in chips and I was down to like 30,000 which that hand has really stuck with me obviously because it was my first time playing a main event and had I won that hand who knows where my day two and hopefully day three four five six end up but yeah it was I mean huge huge for me and just I mean bad beat and all but I really feel like that and especially uh talking with a lot of other players who had more no limit turn experience just learning a lot more about pot control and you know giving yourself a chance to not get crippled in these kind of hands I had pretty much almost always with two deep stacks and play there check call and especially like I might be able to get away from the hand on the turn or river if I check call the flop and the turns a fourth club and yeah, just kind of learning a little bit more about controlling pot sizes and spots especially where you're in a really good position already and you don't want to jeopardize that so yeah, I uh, hope you enjoyed that story, and I don't mean to cast it off as a bad beat story, because it really wasn't, but that hand for me really uh, helped to begin shape my approach to no limit tournaments, and just playing a little more small ball, a little more con pot control, a little more considering when I want to risk a large stack versus protecting a good position, and who to attack against, who to just give them a rope to let them hang themselves, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, if uh, you enjoyed that, uh, I guess as I mentioned a couple podcasts ago, I am open to uh, taking on a couple of students for some poker coaching and very flexible and trying to cater a program towards you and how you would like to do it. We can uh, have some chats about uh, what you might want to accomplish and whether I think you'd be a good student, whether you think I'd be a good coach. And yeah, you can uh, hit me up on Twitter for that at Poker. S-C-H-N-E-I-D-S Poker, that's on Twitter. Or, and I'd love it if you'd check out my Poker Tour, which is on Twitter at P-I-F-T Poker, or on the web at P-I-F-T Poker.com. That is the Poker is Fun Tour. So until next time, uh, have a safe and happy holidays and happy New Year's, everybody. Thanks. Hello, Rec Poker Podcast listeners. I'm Derek Smith, talking about my most difficult poker decision. A couple interesting spots came to mind when I thought about this, like calling an all-in because the guy lit up a cigarette, this was a long time ago, as I looked him over, and I just learned this nonverbal pacifying behavior likely means the person is uncomfortable and is often weak. Well, it turned out I was right and won the pot, and while it's fun to stroke the ego and hearken to times you were right, I found that I learn much more when I make a wrong decision and fail. That's the case with the following, to call off or not with kings in a tough spot early on in a championship game. The process for making this decision and what I learned from that has been very important to my making better decisions. I think back to this hand even today, some eight years later, for the great lessons it taught me, and I hope you find them valuable as well. Here's the situation. 
I'd won a season-long series, so came into the champ game first in chips out of 17 players that qualified to play. I'd been playing well leading up to this game and felt the other players were avoiding getting into too many confrontations with me, so wanted to exploit that at the game. We sat down and were playing for what at the time was a very significant sum of money for me, and would have bested my previous largest score by at least threefold. I started out playing very aggressively as planned and sensed others were sort of easing their way into the action. I chipped up about 25% in the first hour or so of play. It was at about this time another player at my table who has a penchant for being streaky and playing rushes caught fire and managed to win a handful of fairly large pots over the next hour plus. He'd actually ended up overtaking me for chip lead. What happened next was, in back-to-back hands, the streaky player won a very sizable pot when he flopped trips, holding jacks, and got paid the whole way. And the very next immediate hand, streaky player got into a three-bet, four-bet shove hand with kings versus another player, who after much deliberation folded queens face up on the table. The streaky player proudly tabled his kings, and we all congratulated the folded player on the tough laydown, while commenting on how hot the streaky player had been running. The next hand I looked down at kings and opened. The streaky player was the only other person involved and three bet me from in position. I thought about his style of play and felt it likely he felt I was just taking a stab at winning the pot and figured he could push me off most of my openings with the three bet. So I chose to four bet and either take it down there or play a big pot albeit out of position but with a premium holding against a player I knew to play any two cards when on a rush. That's, however, when I got a surprise. The villain 5-bet jammed on me. Now again, I'm holding kings, and my first impulse is to quickly call, but that thought subsided to a feeling of sickness as I thought, do I have to fold this? It really caught me off guard that he made this move. I mean, I was 50-50 split that he'd either call or go away, and not at all expect the jam. So I started to agonize about folding. Oh, all those chips I would lose with my four bed, and even more so, lamented all the chips I had felt certain were headed my way. I was about to not only retake that chip lead, but also reassert myself as the rightful table captain. I mean, what did this guy think he was doing, taking my pot and my table captainship? At this point, these were the types of thoughts I had, staring at the stacks of others when they beat me in pots and imagining those chips in my possess. Just terrible overall in-game thinking. So after some internal bitching and moaning, I started to do what I should and thought about what he thought I might be up to and what his possible holdings were. At the time, I don't think it likely I even knew what range was, but here we go. What he thought of me? Well, I open, but for that I was out of position against the guy that had won way more than his fair share of pots of late, including two huge pots the previous two hands, nothing too crazy here. I assume he then thought a three bet would lead to me folding or possibly calling, and we'd go from there with him being the preflop aggressor and having a positional advantage. When I proceeded to four bet his three bet, he surely put me on a premium holding. That was likely the extent of what he thought. My thinking on his possible holdings were, He'd been crushing everyone of late, so his 3-bet didn't really mean that much to me, particularly because he was in position. Once he didn't fold or even flat my 4-bet but jammed, things were much more clear. He had a hand. And while I couldn't bust him, if he lost to me here, he'd be extremely low, like on total fumes. So he wasn't just bullying. I gave him a very strong likely hand. But how strong? In my opinion, up until this point, besides being whiny about not getting to be the man again, I'd not really done anything stupid. But... Here is the fork in the road where I started to let mistaken thinking lead to compounded errors and my ultimate demise. I thought, he'd held jacks two hands ago, and kings the previous hand. He can't possibly have aces now, right? No one gets three monster pocket pairs in succession like that, right? I mean, what are the odds? Also, I know he loves to play queens really fast. It's his favorite hand, after all. So, possibly he has queens, and I could take my 80-20 to war. Hmm, would he maybe overvalue ace-king in this spot? 
or just feel like a jam would scare me off, and if I do somehow call, he'd still likely have at least one over and nut flush possibilities. And not knowing anything about blockers, but discounting that we both have kings, I figure there are three combos of hands he could have. Queens, aces, or ace-king. Of these, only aces has me beat, and there are many more combinations of ace-king and queens than there are of just aces. Note, I didn't understand blockers or combinatronics at this time, and would have known, or would not have known, how to weigh all the ace-king unsuited hands that he could have, and of which he wouldn't likely jam with. I was vacillating, but really trying my hardest to justify why calling off was best. Surely I can't be beat. Not at this time, not in this game. I cared too much. I put in too much time and effort for something like a cooler to spell my demise. It was at this time where I started heavily leaning towards a calling off and was only slightly considering a fold. That's when Streaky Player and I made eye contact. Now it's worth noting that he and I are good friends. He absolutely knew how much winning this game meant to me. I was heavily invested in becoming a better player and talked about the game with people whether they wanted to or not, constantly. I wanted the validation for all the hard work and winning this game, beating these players, collecting the trophy, and showing my wife the spoils of my being studious was very important to me. He knew it and I knew he knew it. And when we made eye contact, I noted a very tiny microsecond where he seemed to be showing a glint of empathy, as if he genuinely felt sick to his guts for me, for what was about to happen. It was only a blip, a fleeting moment, but I remember that exact look completely and fully to this day. He felt bad for me. But I had justified. I'd reasoned using magical thinking. I'd talked myself into a call and did so. I didn't take heed of the obvious notion of, you can't win the tournament early on, but you sure can lose it. I didn't remember that chips saved are more valuable than chips earned. I let hubris and my own desire to be the guy everyone's chasing take precedent over the one thing I should have actually been there to do, make good decisions. I hadn't worked through all the possible scenarios before taking actions, and therefore found myself surprised by my opponent's actions and wasn't sure what to do next. I let what-ifs impact my decision-making. I allowed myself to talk myself into a decision versus being confident in my play and read and just going with them. I didn't trust the in-game physical tell I'd gained, and last, I let myself fall victim to magical thinking. And as a sidebar, if you have interest, magical thinking both anthropologically and psychologically is quite fascinating. At a minimum, I'd recommend a cursory skim on Wikipedia. So anyways, I called. As streaky player tabled aces and subsequently busted me while en route to winning his first of three championships, my live tell was affirmed. We shook hands and he solemnly said he was sorry to have busted me in such brutal fashion. Sure, he was glad to have, have, to have such a huge chip stack, but he did truly feel bad for me and I should have heeded his unintentional warning. I drove home cursing the poker gods and swearing off the game. How could one guy be so lucky? How could this be fair? I deserve better. The result was all I could focus on. It took me quite some time to truly learn the valuable lessons that were taught to me by me and my poor decision making that day. Those understandings are things that good, regular winning players know to a T. If you're listening and don't agree, I think you should reconsider. And if you're a player that feels there's nothing to be gained from the following, I suggest that going back and reviewing the basics and working on small things pays dividends in all endeavors. Hell, even NBA players practice layups before every game. So that day is one I've come to appreciate and value immensely. I occasionally wonder if I'd spiked a king and took that pot, what would my game be like today? So here are the 10 key takeaways I think all players have to constantly consider and monitor. One, you can't win the tournament early on, but you can lose it. Two, chips saved are more valuable than chips lost. Three, you don't have to be alpha dog. And related four, hubris is bad. 
Five, consider all possible actions before taking yours. Have a plan. Six, don't focus on what ifs, especially in hand and in game. Seven, don't talk yourself into the reasons why you might be right or might be wrong. Rather, eight, trust your physical tells and by proxy, trust yourself. Nine, don't become a victim of magical thinking. And last, 10, don't be results oriented when evaluating your play. So that I believe is the most difficult decision I've had to make at the table. And I'm hopeful that the takeaways I just listed out are things you can internalize and you view them as important to master in your own development as players. Thanks for your time. Greetings, Rec Poker fans. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're talking about when we had a difficult decision in a tournament, what made it difficult, and what were the key factors in making our decision. Uh, I'm going to start off and say I feel like we remember live tournament hands more than we do online tournament hands, and I play a lot more online than I do live. Um, so it's hard for me to remember specific online hands, although I've probably faced quite a bit of difficult decisions there. Uh, so I kind of lean towards live tournament decisions in this question. And although I don't play a lot, there are a few hands that stick out. Um, the one I will concentrate on today is versus a player who I know is a very competent player. He hosts a podcast about poker and I'll leave him nameless, but we'll call him Mr. Freeland. And in this decision, he was the under the gun he raised. I was in the small blind and had ace-king offsuit, decided to three bet. I three bet too light and he called. The flop was queen high. It went check, check. Uh, on the turn, it was a blank, so I continuation bet and a delayed continuation bet that is and he called and then on the river with another seemingly blank i checked and he bet for a large amount of the pot and it was the river decision that really put me in a bind because in the three bet pot with the turn bet and then the the river bet by mr freeland uh it, it put me in a tough spot because I had a tough time ranging him. If he, you know, checked back on the queen high flop, then only called on the turn and then decided to bet big on the river with a seemingly blank card, I really had a tough time putting him on a range. And that was the toughest decision for me because I couldn't put him on a specific hand. I didn't know if he was really strong, really weak in the middle. And I figured he was polarized. Uh, meaning he's either got a really good hand or a really bad hand. And there were a couple of hands, I think ace-10, or excuse me, ace-jack, ace-10, I think uh, would have completely missed all the board cards uh, as well as any kind of like small suited ace. And ultimately I decided to call for a lot of my tournament stack and was wrong. He had hit a straight on the river and... Um, it, it was just a difficult decision for me. I kind of went into the tank trying to figure out what hands do I beat, uh, what hands don't I beat, and what hands are in his range. And I think that's a very important thing to think about, especially in river decisions, is what could my opponent be betting here that my hands beat, and what could he be betting here that I would be behind. And that can really help you make those decisions, because when you're actually putting specific hands 
and you're putting them into the range of, yep, these ones beat me and these ones don't, then you can start to think about the pot odds that you're getting. And if you're putting, you know, five hands into what you beat and 10 hands that you don't beat, uh, and specific combinations of those, I won't get too detailed with the math, but you can start to figure out. And if it's, you know, you win 33% of the time, then you need to know what kind of pot odds am I getting? Is it more or less than that 33%? Um, and then lastly, I would also really think about how did I get into this situation? Um, so in my example, I three bet and I three bet too light from the blinds. Knowing I'm gonna be out of position for the rest of the hand, I should have made it bigger. With his exact hand, he almost certainly would have folded if I didn't make the if I did make the three bet bigger. And then I would have never been in this situation. Uh, but I three bet too small. Then I could have continuation bet on the flop, but I decided not to. Again, that could have been a situation where the hand would have ended right there. On the turn, I bet at the wrong time, giving him odds to call. And then on the river, he was able to extract value once he hit his hand. And I think it's really important to take that step back through the hand, really consider the situation that you're in, and think about all the factors in play. So in my example, one, I three bet too light. Two, I was playing out of position. And then three, I incorrectly ranged my opponent. Hey, this is Steve-O. Uh, this is my response for Steve Fredlin's rec poker question concerning a very difficult uh, tournament decision. Well, obviously there's been many. I would say uh, the one that's most sticking in my mind would have occurred at the Senior Championship at the World Series of Poker this past summer. Uh, we were late in the day, halfway through level 9. Uh, I've been on a pretty good rush. I'm chipped up to just over 100,000 chips. Uh, the levels were 400, 800, with I believe $100 Annie. Maybe it was more. Uh, my memory is a little fuzzy on that. Anyway... It folds to me in the cutoff. I have pocket eights, uh, and I make a 2200. It folds to the big blind who calls me. Uh, I start, I've started the hand with about 103,000 in chips, and the big blind was chipped up pretty well, too. He had about 70,000 in chips. Anyway, the flop comes 3, 4, 5, rainbow. And right away, the big blind bets out into me uh, he makes a pot size bet. So he bets, I think, about 6,600. So it's pretty obvious to me uh, he's looking to play a, a big pot or he wants me to go away or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on. I make, the, rather than to raise right there and find out where he's at, I try to play a little pot control and I just call his bet. Uh, let's see, you know, to see what, ha- what he would do on the turn. Uh, the turn card comes and it pairs the board threes. It also puts a flush draw out there. I think there was two clubs. Uh, and now he moves all in, uh, you know, forcing me to a really difficult decision. Um, you know, I, I get a count from the dealer just to buy some time. And I'm taking pretty hard, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, you know, did he flop ace five? Did he flop a set? Did he flop a straight? Um, you know, does you know, did he slow call me with an overpair? 
you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I really didn't know what was going on. I was fairly new to this table. Uh, I had been there for maybe just over an hour. Uh, also, I had not played any hands against this player, and he had been playing fairly tight. Uh, you know, and it's a big decision. If I make the call and I'm right, you know, I'm going to go into day two with a, you know, with a top 10 stack. Uh, anyway, I do, I made the, dif- the difficult decision to fold my hand. Um, I decided, you know, uh, let's just keep the chips that I have. You know, I was still able to go into day two with a top 50 stack. Um, you know, and that, that, that's a tough one. Obviously, he did not show me his hand. I'm never going to know what he had. Um, but that is a hand that I certainly think about often. Um, you know, what, what did he have? Why did he play it like that? Um, yes, you know, so much and so forth. Uh, anyway, that is, uh, that, that is my answer for that question. Uh, thank you. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much to Jonathan and Mike Schneider, as well as our recreational players who gave some input. Uh, Much appreciated. Good stuff. Uh, hopefully we'll continue to grow our game and get better and be able to report on some big wins that we've all had on the felt. So that's it. Make sure you uh, like us on iTunes, tell a friend, share it. You can get this all through the runaces.com website or through iTunes, Stitcher, uh, your iPhone podcast app, or wherever uh, you listen to your podcasts. All right, thanks much. If you have any questions, stevefredland at gmail.com.